you, everybody. Please take your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 is where our text will be found tonight. And I want to encourage you as a church family, if uh, you have not uh, been attending a Sunday school class or you didn't go this morning, make sure you make an effort to go during this Sunday school uh, lesson series. It was a great blessing to me to, to study it and to learn it, and it impacted me. Uh, Really, there was two things that spoke to me the most in this series this morning was, first of all, the principle of ownership. I mean, who truly owns what you have? And, and, and really, that was, that was impactful to me because a lot of us say, you know, God owns everything of ours, but, you know, maybe subconsciously we don't truly believe that because if we did, if we realized that we were no different than driving a rental car. And we have no problem handing the keys back to Hertz. And why, when we receive money or we receive talents, why do we hoard those things from the Lord? And it's really a lesson on ownership. I thought that was very good. Uh, there were several things that spoke to me this morning, uh, and, and I hope that you avail yourself of that. If you don't already have a Sunday school class, make sure you find one. Uh, there are several good ones. Uh, and if you do have a Sunday school class, just make sure you show up. <laughs> That'd be good. That'd probably encourage a teacher. Uh, it's hard to teach walls. Although sometimes it feels like your students are taking it in about the same. I teach teenagers, okay? <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, uh, let's take our Bibles tonight to Luke chapter 16. I have to be very honest with you. It's quite intimidating to preach a stewardship uh, sermon uh, to this congregation because of the man who preached one this morning. Uh, you may not realize, but he is nationally known as a stewardship preacher. I mean, people have him all over the nation to preach on this one thought and this one principle, and he's really got it down, and he, he models it in his own life, which I think is very important for a preacher to do, but also he just preaches it well. And he did that this morning, so I have to be honest, I'm a little intimidated tonight. I'm just thankful that I didn't come up with this. And that the Lord kind of made it when he wrote uh, uh, the Word of God down. So Luke chapter 16, verse 1 is where we'll begin reading tonight. Very, very strange text we find. Uh, very difficult to understand and honestly very perplexing at, at a few points. So we'll start reading verse 1. The Bible says, And, he's, and he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward. And the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg I am ashamed. I'm resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, notice it's not if I am put out of the stewardship, it's when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. Verse 5. So he called everyone his Lord's debtors unto him, and he said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, An hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, An hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. Now, this, this, this is what I mean. This is perplexing. This guy is crooked. He's a thief. He's a robber. He's a liar. And, and then the Lord uh, commends him and says, you've done wisely. Uh, verse number uh, uh, 8, the second part of verse number 8. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. 
If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you tonight and we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray now, as I've already prayed, that you would help me tonight deliver this message. And I believe that in my study you were helping me and guiding me, because to be honest, Lord, I didn't understand it. But Lord, I believe that you've brought me to a place where I do understand what you're trying to teach. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would so guide me that I'd be able to teach that to the people tonight in the congregation. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in their hearts. And Lord, if he doesn't, everything we do here will be in vain. Lord, I pray that your power would be upon this service and that you would help us this evening. I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. What if I told you that the Lord wants you to be a little more like the world? Now, most people would say, that's a little strange. (laughs) Brother Andrew, I've heard a lot of preaching in my life, and and I I just have to say, I've never heard a preacher go so far as to say, we need to be more like the world. I mean, uh, the church is getting more worldly. The the world is not getting more churchy. And, And Brother Andrew, it would just be wrong of you to say that, but I believe truly the lesson tonight is teaching us Christians, us children of light, that we need to take a note from the children of the world. We need to learn something. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. John 15, verse 18 says, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. See, the world's not supposed to love us. And that's what Jesus tells us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 says, Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Now I do believe that the Bible teaches that we are not to be like the world. And we're supposed to be a peculiar people, separated from the world. But I believe this particular passage tonight is teaching us, learn something from them. And I want to take a look at how the Bible is teaching us that same thing tonight. Four items we will notice tonight. First of all, I want to take a look at the crooked steward. The crooked steward in our passage. Now, when Jesus teaches in parables, there are so many good ones, are there not? Uh, One of my favorite is the, the parable of the prodigal son. And to be honest, I'm not even sure that's a parable. That might just be a true story. But Jesus teaches how the son decides to take his father's inheritance, and he calls on it early, and he goes and wastes it on riotous living, and he uh, uh, has his share of the world, and then we find him uh, uh, in a hog pen somewhere. And then I love the part where the Bible says, and he came to himself. That's what a lot of Christians need to do tonight is come to themselves, come to their senses and find there's no happiness in the world. And then the beautiful story and the picture of God's love for us is all the son has to do is go home and he'll be accepted as he was at the first. And I read a comic this uh, just yesterday. The fatted calf says, guys, y'all been telling me to watch my weight, but he's the fir- I'm the first one he wanted to see when he got home. You see, that's a beautiful story of of the father going and meeting the son, and the son not even having to say anything. He says, son, you're welcome back. That's a beautiful parable. Well, there's a lot of good parables. But in this particular parable, there is no hero. There is no good man. Nobody in this is just. And we see, first of all, who the story is centered around is a crooked steward. Look with me, first of all, if you will, how he was wasteful. Look in verse 1, the Bible says, And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward. Now notice that rich man is not a 
a holy man. The Bible never alludes to the fact that he was righteous or good in any way. He was just a rich man. And then he had a steward. And the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. So basically what we find here is a man who is not a good man. He's a little bit of a thief, a little bit of a liar, a little bit of a robber. And he is the man in charge of managing the assets of this rich man. Now, if you were in Sunday school this morning, you learned that stewardship is nothing more than managing what God has given us. Well, I tell you what, I just want to one more time encourage you. If you're not in Sunday school, please go. I learned more studying this first lesson of stewardship in one day than I've learned in my entire life before this. Managing the assets that God has given you. Well, God's given us a lot. I even told the teenagers this morning, if you have a voice and you're not telling people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're not managing your asset of your voice. Because there's people that don't have one. And see, we are to manage what God has given us. And this man was in charge of managing the assets of a rich man. But you see in verse 1, it tells us that News got back to the rich man that he was wasting what he was supposed to be protecting. He was a wasteful steward. In America, we live in a land of abundance. If you drove your own car this morning or this evening, and if you flush your toilets when you use the restroom, you are richer than 80% of the world. We're blessed to be in America, but doesn't that just lend lend itself to overabundance? And I I know me personally, what I'm guilty of is pulling up to the McDonald's drive-thru. And and I don't know about you, me and my dad ate McDonald's the other day, and I said, Dad, we knew what we were getting when we bought it, and it was just as terrible as we were expecting, and we complain about it every time. They have made a profession on selling bad food, and we still go for it, hoping one day they will actually make a good hamburger. But I go to McDonald's, and I say, I would like a number two with no onions or onions, depending on if I'm feeling crazy that day. And I'll say, number two, no onions, or leave the onions, whatever. And then I say, I'll take a Dr. Pepper with no ice. And then the question comes. What size would you like? What's the biggest you got? So I get this drink from the drive-thru, and for some reason they're not making car cup holders big enough to fit 55-gallon drums yet. And this poor little girl has to transport this immense amount of liquid, 23 flavors of God's goodness, from the machine to me and then I take it and place it in my cup holder and I I, I get the huge fries because that's really the only reason any of us go to McDonald's because their fries are scrum diddly umptious and these fries you, you know they're so overflowing from this already gigantic box that they're flooding the bag They've come out of the box, and now they're just all over the bag. And, and so you, you get excited because you pull your burger out, and you just see, oh, there's more than what the box can contain. And I am guilty of this. I get about two-thirds of the way through, and my heart stops beating. And I decide I'm just done. I've still got tons of fries. I'm about halfway into my first cheeseburger, and I throw it away. Now, you may be different than me, but I know that's one area where I'm a little wasteful. And and if if the the Sunday school lesson taught me anything this morning, is if I'm a manager of God's assets and I waste them on just my personal happiness, am I really being a good steward? You see, we're not to learn from this man's wisdom. We're, We're not to learn from what he does or who he was. We're supposed to look at his life and see how wrong he was. We're supposed to say, well, that's not what I want to be. Are you a wasteful steward? God's blessings are good, but sometimes we take advantage of them. 
Make sure you're not a wasteful steward. Look in verse 3. We see, secondly, he was lazy. He was, first of all, wasteful, but then he was lazy. Now, news gets back and says, now, you cannot continue to manage my assets if you're not going to be good with them. You're going to waste them. And so, verse 3, then the steward said within himself, and he begins to wonder what he's going to do, what shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. My job. He's taking away my job. What am I going to do? Verse 3. I cannot dig. Now, at no point in this story do we find any hint of this man being too unable to work. We just find that he might be a little soft-handed. And sitting back with his feet up was really comfortable for a while. And he didn't have a hard job before, and he just probably watched a lot of Rangers baseball and a lot of Cowboys football and and probably cried a lot for both those teams. But uh, uh, no, he he probably had a good job because he didn't have to work. But but then times get tough, and he says, well, what am I going to do? I mean, there's no way that I could go out with everybody else and actually work. You see, our Lord doesn't like laziness. The Bible says in Proverbs 21, 25, The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. A lazy man would rather sit there and die than work. Our Lord wasn't lazy. He's a worker. I believe that with my whole heart. And I don't believe it's wise for Christians to be lazy, to be slothful, to be unwilling to work. My dad taught me at a young age uh, uh, to work. I don't know why he let me do this as a 12-year-old, but he let me haul hay for two summers in 110-degree heat from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. without gloves. I called CPS on him. I had blisters. I remember we would throw them bells of hay up there and mice would run out and I'd... <laughs> yeah, he taught me to work even in that heat. You know, you don't quit. You just do it until the job's done. And 104 degree heat wasn't bad because when we got to the barn and there was no airflow in the barn, it was like 130 in there. And I've told you all the story of Ricardo. Me no work till Jimmy ring me awa. He was a little lazy. I remember me and my dad were driving through New Mexico. I think we were on our way to go soul winning or something. I can't quite remember. Maybe make a hospital visit. But we pulled up on an exit to go to a gas station. And we we stopped at this lot, and there was a man standing there, and he was panhandling. He was asking for money. And I've seen this before, but this guy was just a tad bit different. He had three to five bean bags. And he was juggling them. And I've never seen anything cooler in my entire life. This man was doing things I did not know possible. It looked like he had 28 hands at some times. And he was, you know, doing stuff behind his back, between his legs, and, and you know, doing all these cool things. And me and Dad, we just sat there. It's like, Lot, please don't turn green. Please don't turn green. Please don't turn green. Because we want to watch this guy. We pulled through. And we don't normally do this, but this guy was exceptionally talented. We handed him a $5 bill. Like, Go buy booze with it if it helps you do that. <laughs> no, I don't understand. Dad got through the lot and he goes, now how can a guy that talented not get a job? Most of the time, it's not lack of talent or lack of ability. It's lack of willingness. And if you're to be a good steward of God's money, you can't be lazy. And if you're going to be a good steward of what God's giving you in your life, in your talents, in your abilities, then you can't be lazy like this man was. We see, thirdly, look now in verse 3, he was a little prideful. Not only can he not dig, and we see a little pride in that statement. I can't go out there and work with everybody else. But then he says this, to beg, I am ashamed. So this guy had such a good job for so long, maybe he was very successful in the business world, and 
And he just decided that he was too good to ask anybody for help. And you'll see as the story goes on, he would rather lie, cheat, and steal his way to the top than he would to just ask somebody for help. He, he, he was a little prideful. You know, I was reading today a little bit about the Enron scandal. What a crooked mess that was. Did you know at one time, I think it was early 2000, I think 2001, Enron reported numbers that made them the sixth largest company in the world. And just a few years later, they filed for bankruptcy because of false numbers and false reporting. You know, that's the, that's the nature of the world-like business atmosphere is lie, cheat, steal, cut your way up to the top. It doesn't matter whose throat you slit. You know, as long as you're stepping on people, it doesn't matter who you step on to get where you need to go. And that's a worldly idea of business, trying to be prideful and say, well, whatever i got to do to get up to the top, that's not Christ-like at all. Oh, man, I, I do believe that the Lord hates pride. I believe the Bible clearly spells that out. I believe at no time are we closer to being like Jesus than when we're humble. So the flip side of that coin is, I believe at no time are we further away from being like Christ than when we're full of pride. And this man was. So we see, first of all, and we've noticed the crooked steward. Secondly, I want to take a look at the corrupt strategy. Now look at what this man had planned to do. Now, word got back to his boss that he was being a little wasteful and was not doing a good job managing the assets that his boss had given him. Given him. And so he, he, he comes up with a plan. And this is what I did not understand in the whole thing. In verse number 4, we see the Bible says... Now, what am I going to do? I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship... Now, he knows he's going to get fired. Nothing he can do can change the fact that he's not going to have a job anymore. When I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one his Lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then said he to another, How much owest thou? And he said, An hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write four score. Here's this man's plan. He knows he's going to get fired from his boss. So he has devised a way that if he does a favor for other people, he might find employment with them. So knowing that he's going to have to cut his previous employer out of a good deal, out of what these people truly owed, he goes up to these people who he's seeking employment from. He says, you know, how much did you say you owed my boss again? A hundred? Okay. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do just because I'm such a good guy. You just give him 50, and I'll show you how generous I am. And I'll just wipe your slate clean. And so he does that, and he goes to the next guy and says, Okay, so how much do you want? A hundred? Okay. I'll tell you what, since, since I'm such a good guy, you just write him 80, and we'll, we'll just call it good. And you see his corrupt mind at work. He's lying, he's stealing, he's cheating. And, and even his idea is, whatever I've got to do to prepare for my future, it doesn't matter who I mess over in the past. So I'm going to try getting myself good. I'm going to try going towards the future. I'm going to try getting myself in a good spot so as not to reflect badly on me. And that's where you see the plan. Now, this is where I really struggled. You see the praise. Look in verse number 8. Now, this guy has been nothing but a shady character the entire story. And I talked to my dad today at lunch about this. In verse 8. And the Lord commended the unjust steward. Now notice, the Lord there is not capitalized. Jesus is not telling him he did a good job. Because doing wrong to accomplish something right is never good. And you can't sin to accomplish a greater good and please the Lord. And so Jesus is not saying, man, I tell you what, this guy had it down. He 
he, he lied and he cheated and he stole and got down to where he, he just really pleased me with his life. No, the Lord, his master, the rich man said, that's pretty smart. You know, you're clever. But I don't believe the Lord wants us to be crooked. I don't believe he wants us to do uh, 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 strange, corrupt things that would, that would hurt our testimony. Because really, at the end of the day, you are the only Bible some people may ever read. And if people can't see the light of the Lord shining in your life, they're not going to look inside these walls. You know why people say the church is full of hypocrites? Because it is. Too many people are two-faced. Too many, too many people say one thing and do one thing on one day and then go somewhere else and do one thing and say a completely different thing the next. May, a, may we not be a people that would be corrupt and, and doing things to accomplish uh, uh, the praise of men. But now this is where the story gets crazy. We've seen a few things, but now we look at the critical statement of the entire passage. If you miss this, you've missed everything. Because here's when Jesus starts talking. Well, he's been talking this whole time, but now he's talking in the first person. He's talking. It's him. It's the guy. It's Jesus. Here we go. Verse 8. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And then Jesus goes on to say, And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. First of all, I want to look at the comparison. The comparison that Jesus makes. He says, For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. When I was growing up, I did not have many friends my own age. I had, I had a few. Uh, I hung out with them. I, I had one that was a really close friend for a long time. We went over to each other's house all the time. One day, one week, I spent five out of seven days at his house or him at my house of the entire week. We were together all the time. I had a few other friends, but mainly my friends growing up were men, much older than me. And I had no idea at the time why this was, but my dad taught me later on in life that he tried surrounding me with men who were godly so that I'd be able to see who they were and try becoming like them. And I think that's a very wise thing. You know what's wise is trying to learn from wise men. I love sitting down and talking Bible with my dad. You know why? Because he knows it better than I do. And he's got wisdom and years of experience that I can only hope to have one day. And he, he, he just drops this knowledge on my head that it's just unreal. He tells me things that I could not even imagine. And, and it's nice, it's wise to listen to wisdom. So this is what Jesus is saying. The children of this world, verse 8, the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. So who's a child of light? A child of the Father. A Christian. Someone who's saved. Uh, the Bible tells us that in the Lord there is no darkness. He is light. He is truth. He is, uh, he is great. There is no darkness in Him. Uh, the Son of God is the light of heaven. Uh, the light is God. It symbolizes God. And now we see that we are the child of the Father. We're children of light. Now the Bible here is telling us that the children of this world are wiser than us. How so? I mean, I have the Bible, right? You know, like, like fundamental Baptist preachers used to say, I've read the back of the book. We know how the story ends. So how are they wiser than us? How did this corrupt thief of a man display anything that I can't do? And it's this. That he planned for the future. That when everything went down and he knew he was going to end his occupation, he was trying everything he could to fix the future. 
Now for him, his future is much different than ours. Because his future ends. Uh, At the end of his life, all he will have attained is the occupation that he had. But this is what Jesus is saying, and please do not miss this. The reason they're wiser is because they plan ahead, and we don't. We have the same philosophy they do. They just have a more accurate destination than we do. And what I mean by that is, well, we, we try getting our bank accounts in order. We try, we try attaining things. We try getting uh, materialistic things. That's all fine and good. But Jesus says that his life is going to end, and he's doing things wise. He's planning for his future. Are you planning for yours in heaven, in eternity? Notice the key word of the phrase, in this generation. For his generation ends at death. Our generation only begins at death. What are you doing to impact eternity? What are you doing that displays a willingness to to show forth a willingness to uh, uh, help your case in eternity? I see here a command in verse number 9. Jesus says, and I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. So you see, that's the difference between our destination and theirs, is ours is everlasting and theirs is not. But the children of, uh, uh, or the friends of mammon of unrighteousness, that's unsaved people. So the Bible is instructing us, do everything that you can while you're on this earth to impact somebody who doesn't know the Lord is their Savior, so that when you go to heaven, they'll be there to greet you. It's deep, isn't it? Now, I read this over and over again, and I struggled with it, and I couldn't comprehend it, but I believe the Lord showed me. He said, uh, when you, everything in your life, everything He gives you to be a steward of, whether it's your money, whether it's your time, whether, I, I thought this yesterday, this is original, it's not good, but it's original. Uh, 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 we're stewards of our time, talents, uh, uh, treasures, and ticks. Every heartbeat you have is given of God. And every time you breathe a breath, it's given of God. And we are stewards of that. Now, what are you doing to impact someone's life for eternity? See, for this crooked steward, everything was about him. Everything was about planning for him. In fact, he didn't even mind hurting his original uh, boss. He didn't even mind lying to the people who he was about to be employed by. He didn't mind thieving and lying and cheating. He didn't mind that as long as it helped him. But Jesus is saying the reason he's wiser than us is at least he's planning ahead. Too many Christians live in the moment. Too many Christians just live paycheck to paycheck. And I'm not trying to say that Stewardship is all at all about money because it's not. It's about a lifestyle. It's about realizing that everything, not your checkbook, everything is given by God. And God, even when he gives it to you, is still the possessor of it. You are at best a manager. And see, Jesus is saying here, just like he says in Matthew 6, verse 19 through 21, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a very simple lesson, and although it's it's kind of difficult to see, the lesson is this. Plan ahead. Be preparing now for the day you awaken in heaven. Because there's going to be a lot of people there that will not be pleased with the stewarding of their life while they were on earth. And Jesus is simply telling us here, the children of this generation, the children of this earth, they're wiser than some of you because you're not planning ahead and you're not seeing the much bigger picture. Now, we come to... A few very powerful, powerful verses. 
And I've labeled this the complete summation of the entire story. Jesus wraps up everything that he said in the entire parable from verses 10 through 13. And really there's three truths that we find in these. He says, first of all, in verse 10, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in, the, in much. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says this, Moreover, it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. You see, I wouldn't want anybody managing my possessions or my assets that was not faithful and loyal to me. It was a while back, I had worked some, you know, slaved away, belling some hay and moving some hay, and I had gotten a little money gathered up. And Dad thought it would be wise if I would invest some of this money as he had invested some. And I, I won't say the man's entire name, but his first name was Michael. And, and he came in, and he was an investment officer. I mean, he was the guy that we were supposed to be able to give our money to, and he would, you know, invest it in places, and we would just see this great big return. And at that time, we were like, man, you can do what for us? That's awesome. And so I wrote Michael a check, and for me at that time in my life, it was a very big check, but for most of you, it would be very insignificant. But it was all that I had, and I said, okay, we'll invest with this guy. Several years later, come to find out, all Michael did was invest enough to make his own return. He never did anything to make us any money. We gave him our money, and all he did was pay himself. An unfaithful steward. You see, the complete summation boils down to this. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. First of all, faithfulness is linked to the sum. Look in verse number 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. Please take your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, and I want to cross-reference a story here. It's also a, 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 a parable that Jesus teaches. Verse, uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse number 14 says this, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Verse 15 of Matthew chapter 25. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them, and Jesus always will... And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou dis, uh, deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man. Reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Therefore, thou oughtest, therefore, to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own usury. You see, here the principle is taught, when we're faithful with a little, He will give us more to be faithful with. The same thing is being said here in verse number 10, 
Our faithfulness with a little will be directly linked to our faithfulness with a lot. If you cannot be trusted with $10, you will never be trusted with $100. If you're not trusted with $100, you will never be trusted with $1,000. If you're not trusted with $1,000, you can never ever be trusted with $100,000. And so on and so on. We have to be faithful in the minutest of things. Teach your children to tithe off quarters. That's where I learned. It wasn't my first paycheck. It was my first touchdown. Mom gave me a dollar. I said, now give ten cents. Because if I as a child could not be faithful in the little things, now that I'm in ministry and making the big bucks... I could never be trusted as an adult. Are you faithful with what God has given you? And and I don't want to at all allude to a prosperity gospel. But don't expect the blessings of God if you can't already be a good steward of what He's already blessed you with. It's directly linked to the sum. Our faithfulness is directly linked to the sum. Secondly, notice this. Faithfulness is linked to the style. Look in verse number 11. Now, this is just an awesome truth. Please don't miss this. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, or material possessions, money, and other things like that, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Now, let me ask you, what are true riches? If money is not a true rich, then what is? Blessings. That you could not even put a finger on. The Bible says this in James chapter 2, verse 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom of God, which he hath promised to them that love him? Proverbs 8, chapter, uh, Proverbs 8 verse 18 and 19. Riches and honor are with me, yea, durable riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, and and than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. God says, the fruits that I can offer you are much better than corrupt money. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, the principle is so abundantly clear in this verse. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness... And all these things shall be added unto you. Can I ask you a question tonight? How many men who have homes that are split apart at the seams, irreparable, irreplaceable, do you think would give every dime in their check account to fix it? The woman that they love and so desperately long to to uh, uh, talk to and be with like they were at the altar when they, they, they said their vows, that woman that he remembers but no longer can even share a calm conversation with, he still loves her. You don't think he would give everything he has to fix that? That's true riches. True riches are not found when you log on to your bank account online. It's not found in the statement that they send you in the mail. It's found in God giving you peace, joy, and happiness. So if you're not a faithful steward of filthy lucre, of of money, if you're not a faithful steward of the talents that God's given you, and the time and the treasure that God's given you, then how would He be able to give you a peaceful home? Or the love of your life? or a ministry that you can fall in love with. That's true riches. Some of the most unhappy men I've ever known in my life also shared the biggest bank accounts. I'm thinking of a man now laying in a hospital bed at this moment, spending every dime he ever made to keep his health. Miserable. Unsure whether he's saved or not. That's not true riches. Dealing with the battle of whether you were to not wake up from your sleep, what eternal destination you would wake up in. 
That's not true riches. Be a faithful steward. Because if you are, the Bible teaches us that it is directly linked to the style in which God can bless us. Look at verse 13. Faithfulness is directly linked to servitude. Verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Well, how simple this principle is. We've heard it since we were just, you know, knee-high to a grasshopper in Sunday school class. You've got to pick one, right? You've got to pick God or you've got to pick serving the world. That's just the way it is. God or serving the world. And it truly is that simple. There is no gray area with God. There is no lukewarm Christians. For God says, I would rather you be cold or I'd rather you be hot. Because you being lukewarm is about to make me sick. That was the new revised Andrew Standard Version. He says, I don't want your, your, your wishy-washy uh, on the fence uh, on one day, off the next day. I don't want that. I want burning hot Christians. I want cold Christians. Because the world looks at the lukewarm ones that are saying one thing one day and saying something the other day. And they say, those are the hypocrites. I went to college. And, and many of you may not know this. Many of you know that I'm a Duke fan true to the core, and even though we lost yesterday against Notre Dame Catholics, even though I think Duke is technically Catholic. But uh, many of you know I'm a hardcore Duke fan. I've just always loved the program. I love watching their basketball team, and not much of a football fan. You know, I was cheering them on against A&M, but that's more for my hate for A&M than it is my love for Duke. But apparently Duke's not living right. We lost to Notre Dame, but I'm a huge Duke fan. But what you may not know is, at one time, I was just as big of a North Carolina fan. Now, if you know anything about sports, there's really only a few rivalries in all of sports that that even come close to the hatred that Duke has for North Carolina and vice versa. Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees. Most would say that would be right up there with them. They, I mean, they just they detest each other. They can't stand each other. Uh, they go to they go to play each other, and, and the gym's crazier that night than it ever is. Uh, I looked at tickets, seven hundred dollars for bad seats. I mean, I, I would love to go to that, but I don't think I'd be a good steward. But at one time, I wore just as many North Carolina ball caps as I did Duke hats. Until I went to college. And, you know, in Texas, there's not a whole lot of North Carolina or Duke fans. And so I could watch the games, and when North Carolina was playing, somebody would say, yeah, go Roy Williams, yeah, go, yeah, yeah, go North Carolina. And then when I was watching Duke, I'd say, yeah, yeah, go Duke, yeah, yeah. Well, when I got to college, there were a lot of North Carolina fans. And they started telling me about the hatred and started telling me how much they hate me because I like Duke. And I quickly realized, you choose one. You don't wear a Red Sox hat and a Yankee shirt. Because you'll get shot in the Yankee shirt. I'm just kidding, John. I'm just kidding. I just had to do that. You can't be a Duke fan and a North Carolina fan. You've got to choose one. And you can be on either side of that fence, but you can't be on the fence. And that's exactly what God says. Don't, you choose. Like Joshua of old saying, choose ye this day whom you will serve. Choose. But as for me, as for my family, we're choosing the Lord. And we're going to serve him. Who have you chosen? You know, the sad thing is a lot of Christians spend their life chasing the dollar like every other worldly person in this earth. They fight and they scratch and they claw just to get that promotion, just to get that raise, and and it's just a fight they cannot win. I was reading today a little bit about gladiators. That's always amused me about how people would enjoy watching men 
kill each other and, and fight beasts that were much, much stronger than the men. And, and I was reading a little bit about them and about uh, uh, who it was that became gladiators. Did you know that most of them were slaves? Most of them did not even have a choice. But there were a few free men that chose to be a gladiator for the glory in it. Because a few gladiators were wealthy. But whether you were free or whether you were slave, you took an oath. You took a vow. It was called sacramentum gladiatorium. You say, Brother Andrew, you made that up. No, no, no. They did. And they said these words. They said, Yuri, vinciri, verbrari, feroque, nicari. I just guess. I just went with my quinceanera accent that I did for the castanatas. I don't really know. I, I called, who did I, I called Jorge George or something. I'm about the whitest guy I know. And they asked me to MC a quinceanera. I enjoyed it. I had a good time. But this is what that means. I'll not say it again. It says, I will endure to be burned, to be bound, and to be beaten, and to be killed by the sword. You see, when they took this oath, he was bound to fight a fight he would die in. Christian, if you're fighting a fight to gain every bit of dollars you can to to be a steward of your own pride and of your own priorities and everything that you're trying to gain and attain in this world, if that's you, you're fighting a fight you'll die in. There's no reward for the person who gains everything they can here. For at the end of their life, as Jesus says, when, when your life fails, when you're over with, you're dead and you won't have anything to show for it. There are no U-Hauls in funeral processions. You can't take anything with you. And if you are fighting a fight of saying selfish priorities and trying to gain everything you can on this earth and being a bad, corrupt steward for the Lord, you're fighting a fight you'll die in. You see, I don't want to mislead anybody. I don't think we need to be more like the world. Well, we've got a problem with that in the church. We need to come out from among them and be separate. But I do believe that there are men in this world that work harder for the dollar than we do for the soul. Dollars can be burned. Souls will never die. Oh, tonight that we make a vow. We make a choice to be a steward of everything that God has for us and say, I'm doing it for eternity, not for the end of this life.